Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hello, Rebecca. Rebecca, is anybody there? It's just me today. I'm all alone at the museum. Sometimes our schedules just don't match up where we can have a fun conversation. And honestly, these moments where I'm alone at the museum before anybody comes in, before we're open to the public, it's a really interesting time to be. The building isn't quiet at all. The roof is so surprisingly noisy. Uh, there's noises from the other side of the building. In October, we talk about all of what that could be. But in these moments in March, it just feels like it gives a dis different perspective to the stories that live here. And this tape is one of those stories that was just waiting for somebody to listen to it. I was... Um, flipping through all of our oral history cabinets and drawers, trying to find tapes and things that hadn't been digitized yet, because the digitized ones are the ones that are easy to access from my computer and work on for the podcast. But the cassette tapes, I can't as easily just plug that in and start listening to it. For this episode, I found this cassette tape... Um, with an interview from Hazel Hartman. She was born in 1897 in Constance, Minnesota, a little area that people just started calling uh, by that name in what is present day Andover. She got married in 1928 and moved to Fridley. And that's a lot of what this interview is about. She talks about what Fridley was like when she first moved out there in 1928. And it's a lot different than today. The man that she married, Carl Hartman, ended up being the very first mayor of Fridley when they incorporated it in 1949. Take a listen. It's a little bit relaxing. It just feels like you were invited into her home in Fridley and you're listening to this fun conversation of Hazel just remembering what it was like growing up in Constance and living in a Fridley that looks very different to the Fridley that we all know today. Let's jump in. Uh, Mrs. Hartman, I understand that you have lived here a good many years and that you grew up in uh, the village of Constance. Could you tell us something about that? And Well, I was 30 months old when my parents bought a farm at Constance and I lived there until I grew up and I went to the city to work. And when I, I didn't get married until I was, uh, until 1928. And then I came to Fridley and I have been here since. What uh, was the farm that you were growing up on like? Was it? Uh, just a small farm where we would have cut hay and, and had a few cows and you had to go in the pasture looking for the cows in the deep woods. And it was just real fun. I've always enjoyed flowers and I could go in the woods looking for flowers and looking for cows at the same time. And 
my mother worked very hard too, and my mother and dad both, but we always had time to go to Ham Lake and fish if the looked like fishing was good. And uh, I, I'm sure that their way of living was much easier and nicer than now, even though they were very poor. Did you put a boat in Ham Lake? Or did no, you? we just had, we knew all the neighbors around, so we could just always use a boat. Oh, but you did go out, you didn't fish for the shore. No, 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 we went out. Was the, the farm part of the dairying industry? That well, not particularly. It was just a small farm with the grain and a few cattle and corn and hay and, and then strawberries and some vegetables were sold. Did you take them to market? You mean that sort of thing? Well, yes, especially potatoes. We would have lots of potatoes. That is lots for a small 80-acre farm. And uh, my dad drove down from Constance, right down about where Holy Boulevard is, through Bunker Prairie and down into the city with loads of potatoes. And it took seven hours to come in with potatoes on a wagon with two horses, and we stayed overnight. Did you go to the farmer's market in Minneapolis? No, no. There were orders that uh, private people were. He would unload like 10 bushels here for their winter use and 15 bushels here. Then when we got all through, we stayed at our relatives in town and then started out for home the next day with buying a case of red salmon and a sack of sugar and a box of crackers and case of rose queen soap or something like that. There were things you could just live on the rest of the year. You mean that's more or less uh, you grew everything else that you used? Well, chickens and vegetables and fruit. I was over at baking powder, I guess, stuff like that. But we had, there was a small store at Constance where the post office was. And Constance was a, a village? No, Constance was just a, a place where the mail was picked up with a hook out of the train and they walked over to the track and hung the mail on a, on a thing that was sticking up in the air and then the train came by with a hook on it and grabbed the mail sack in and we had a post office there and one mailman first and then two and then the store in the same building. The train didn't stop. No. <laughs> it didn't stop. At Cedar it did, and at Andover. But all those places are extinct now. Oh, Cedar's got a little bit left of it. What's happened to it? Bigger stores came at various places like at Sodaville, and then they didn't have a need for a smaller store. I don't there isn't anything at Constance but the church and the cemetery. It's still quite a distance from, say, Soderville to Cedar. Yes, it though. is. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a store at Cedar either. Were there a lot of farms out there back in those days? Well, it was all farming land. Every 80 acre or 120 acre was a farm, and there were some people that made quite a bit of money. But uh, that is quite a bit, not 
compared with what people make now when you've got a job. But um, you didn't need money then because they didn't either have aluminum foil or Kleenex or paper dolling or <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. Um, the small farms have just all gone. I read in yesterday's paper where a package of oatmeal costs more than they'd get for a bushel of oats. Mrs. Hartman, what year did you come to Fridley? Well, we were married in 1928 and came right to Fridley. My husband had this little store here, but uh, he was a truck gardener and, and loved to work in the earth and, and plants, and we sold um, tomato plants and bunched asparagus and bunched all kinds of vegetables, and we had strawberries and raspberries, so we were really gardeners, but I was in the store. Then um, we had the monopoly on the tomato business because I sold seeds in the store. Then uh, they didn't grow, so then he sold plants to the people. And then they didn't grow, so then um, <laughs> we sold the tomatoes to them. And then they didn't keep after they were canned, so then we sold them ketchup in the store again. And that was a vicious circle in the tomato business. How long and, did you do that? Oh. 15 years, I think. And uh, we also had asparagus, and people that uh, uh, knew us that are still living uh, will never forget the delicious amounts of asparagus that we had every spring because there aren't very many people that raise asparagus. And um, uh, after we had been in the store for quite a number of years, and uh, we sold the store. Then I started um, cooking for Brownie Camp at the Girl Scout Camp, summers. And my husband kept gardening. And then, but pretty soon the village started coming in here and uh, he was voted the first mayor and was the mayor of Fridley for five years. And, our gardening went haywire because he really devoted all his time to the village and he also served on the volunteer police department and fire department and helped organize the Fridley Liquor Store and it was a full-time job for $50 a year. And um, But we had a, a good city attorney, Wyman Smith, and um, he was our city attorney for a long time, number of years, and they um, really, really prospered. And these three landowners that had most of the land in Fridley, the Nelsons of Cloverleaf Creamery and the Osborne Stock Farm and the Locks Dairy Farm had most of the land in Fridley, but then as it started to build up a little from the south, their taxes started getting higher and they had to unload some of their um, land. Osborne sold land to Unity Hospital and Locke's property was divided up and Fridley bought everything on the north side of the creek for a park for $140,000 on the north side of Rice Creek. and. Uh, the Nelson stock farms all had to, they had five in the area, and they had to be divided up and sold to. They don't have any.
catalog any of their farms, even in Blaine. Were those subdivided into housing? Yes. And I don't believe there, is, there are very many lots left in Fridley that can be built on. You said that uh, when you first came here, your husband was the first mayor. What was here before? Well, there wasn't anything here. It was these three farms, the Osborne Stock Farm, and he wasn't mayor until 1949. Well, was that when the Fridley Incorporated? Yes, uh-huh. And before that, it was just part of the township? Yes. What were the reasons and what were the motivations behind incorporating into a village? Well, it was, uh, the city had gone south into Bloomington and Edina, and it hadn't come north at all. And it just was kind of forced out this way because this was so close into town. We're from Medina and Bloomington. You're quite far out, and then there would be an, a, a small parcel of property that would be sold to one person or, or another. And then they wanted water and sewer, and then that started creeping out this way, and then taxes started getting high, and a few more people. The land where the uh, high school is and the junior high was all sand dunes like Bunker Prairie and it had been a city before and when it was a city in the late, in the middle 1800s, then that whole area was platted and so that was all lots but people had died that owned it and, and then when my husband got to be mayor, they got all this land together and and condemned it and picked it up for... What do you mean it used to be a city? There was a city here in um, 1845, something like that. It was the city of Monoman. In the ravine right beside me here in the Anoka New Anoka County Park is one wall of the flour mill that was down there that was run by water power where they made an average of 140 barrels of flour a day. But there were machine factories here too and pop factories. And it was scattered pretty well across the, uh, the area. Streets and the, uh, streets and houses but then it didn't uh, kind of, people lost their place and they, their places where they lived. Was it a large settlement? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, concentrated in any one place. This old lock house across the creek was a stagecoach place where they could stop, like a hotel. Well, when Fridley was incorporated, when your husband became mayor... 1949. How many people lived here? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. There were just about enough people to be councilmen and... <laughs> just enough to be councilman and mayor and start a small fire department and police department. Didn't you say your husband was a volunteer policeman mm -hmm. at one time? Did that I, was in the very beginning. That didn't go on very long. Well, I guess it did while he was mayor because he never got any more money. Money was tight then? 
There wasn't any, there weren't any taxes. There was nothing to tax when there wasn't a city. It had to start from somewhere. But it grew rapidly. Mm -hmm. They got organized and got the uh, cigarette tax from Anoka that would have come to Anoka County, would have come to Fridley then instead. And the school taxes that would have come to the county would have come to Fridley, would have incorporated. Um, was your store that you and your husband had in 1928, was that, when, was that right here in Hartman Circle? It's where the parking lot is for the Anoka County Park, right out to the east, 220 feet. What else was around this area besides your store? <laughs> no, there was nothing, only farmland, just farmland. And then Locke's Farm across the road was 750 acres, and that went from here over to the D.W. Onan Company. University Avenue did not go through. And he had about 90 head of cattle and about 10 horses, and it was his hobby. He, he made his money making shade cloth for First World War and Second World War for blackouts on buildings and ships, and that's how he made his money. And they had no children, and when he died, his money all went to the little chapel that he had organized in the city. So he did not donate the lock house to Anoka County. Anoka County had to buy the lock house that is now sort of a show place for a historical thing. And uh, he didn't donate that, but he did donate the land where the Girl Scout camp is. Was Lock House their family home? For the summer. They had a townhouse in the winter, and they never changed their way of living from the time when they had nothing until he got to being quite wealthy. And the only thing that I ever knew of them to ever do was to go to all the Republican presidents that were inaugurated in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Amusement. <laughs> They, uh, they devoted their life to little children that were of the minority group that would be like just below Plymouth Avenue. His place of business was on Lindale and um, 6th Avenue, just below Plymouth. And he gathered up a little bunch of kids and taught them the Lord's Prayer and to sing a little bit. And it grew and got a little bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon they were renting a little store building and pretty soon they were building a chapel. and. That chapel is the chapel that got all his money when he died. In the city of Minneapolis. And uh, then uh, the Nelson stock, uh, the Nelson dairy farms uh, were affiliated with the Cloverleaf Creamery. And uh, they produced all the milk that Cloverleaf Creamery sold at one time. And that has just dissolved into the families. And all the land is sold. What was there to the township of Fridley, say back in 1928 when you came here? Like, were there, you know, over on the, in the area of like University of Mississippi, were there stores or anything? No, at all there? no. There was uh, the Herder Nelson family and the Farrell family. There were only about two families that lived on Mississippi Street, and the Regals, three families. Was Mississippi Street cut through? Yes. They didn't call it that. I don't know what they called it. <laughs> no, there weren't. They were just small farms, you know, like 40-acre farms along there. 
and uh, the Herder Nelsons had turkeys every year, but uh, the Regals and the Farrells farmed, and the Christiansons too. That's about all the people that lived along there. How did your husband happen to run for mayor and get elected back in 49? Well, I think it must have been because he had been active always in both Red Cross and uh, county things that were going on, so that he was very well known through the neighborhood, even though he was never on the school board here, but was an agitator in the, in the area. For school? He was an agitator for school, but he'd never run for school. But then when he wanted, he thought we should have a place to vote, and we didn't have a place to vote. We were voting in somebody's basement, and it irked him to no end that people living in an area at this time didn't have a place to vote. So uh, he said, we think, I think we should have a town hall that we could go and vote in. And then um, they thought, well, they should have a little better organization, I guess. And they voted for a town hall. And pretty soon it was getting to be bigger. And they needed an attorney to advise them. And Wyman Smith was living out here then. And he was voted in to be the attorney. And my husband was voted in mayor. And they started a police department and a fire department. and a liquor store all at one time, and there was no money to do anything with. So everybody worked gratis. And But then when they did get organized, my husband got $50 a year. And uh, the councilman, I think, got like $10 a year so that there would be something for their records. Were there schools already in Fridley? When no. In 1929, we had the little... We had one little school on Mississippi Street. It had two rooms, and it burned up. I don't remember how it burned, and it burned the day before the tornado went through. And if it hadn't burned one day, the tornado would have taken it the next. And then uh, they had to have finish up the school year in the church basements. We had two churches here, the Lutheran Church and the Little Episcopal Church. And uh, then uh, they started the two-room school on Mississippi Street that stood through the May tornado in 1965. Was that when the tornado? was right in the path of the tornado, and it stood. And the new wood, uh, school that was being built next to it all went. But the little school stood. And um, then um, as the people started building out here more, we had to have more schools, and we had to have a superintendent, and we now have all our schools built, plus an auditorium and a swimming pool in connection with the schools and um, I think we have a very fine school district here. You mentioned that at another time that Fridley is an independent school district, is that right? Yes, yes it is an independent school district and it, the district is the same size it was when it was just the two-room school when uh, my daughter started going school to school here, there was only the two rooms. And then uh, it, there got to be more people so that by the time she was in the fifth grade, 
she they had to bust them into Columbia Heights before they started building schools out here. How did it happen that Fridley remained an independent school district all these years? Well, uh, it seemed my husband thought that our district, that there was enough of a future for our area to have our own school and not, they wanted to have us incorporate with the uh, Spring Lake Park and Lina Lakes and put up a high school up toward Lina Lakes. And my husband thought there was a future for here and that we should try having our own high school here. And then um, they started building a small school here that grew and got bigger. And then after a while, that got to being the junior high. And now we have a senior high right by it. And it's real fine that we've got this cluster of schools of elementary and junior high and, ju and senior high are all the kids can come on the same buses and go to the various schools. But the school isn't connected like the Spring Lake Park School. That's all one large thing. Did you raise a family here at your store in Fridley? <clears throat> we had uh, just the one daughter, Alice, and um, she went to school at the small school, two-room school on Mississippi Street, and we paid one of our neighbors to take her to school because even then the, there was getting to be quite a bit of traffic on the road. So we paid for her transportation like other people did, and then uh, she started going to Columbia Heights to school and graduated from Columbia Heights, Heights High and then continued on to the university and uh, worked her way through school and um, got her degree as a medical technician. But um, two weeks before she graduated, she got a diamond, and I'm sure that was more important than her degree. And she started working, though, after she'd interned at University Hospital for a year, she st started um, working in the doctor's office where she still has continued working all these years part-time. Did your daughter live um, at home when she was going to Columbia Heights? Yes, she did. How did she get to school? Um, by that time, they were having bus service to go to high school from here. And when she went to the university, she went on the Anoka bus. Every day, back and forth? Ate her breakfast standing waiting for the bus out on the Easter River Road. <laughs> <laughs> I understand there was a period when the Fridley children had to be bussed out. Could you tell us about that? Well, some of the children were taken to Twin City Arsenal, but at the same time, some of the buses would have to take some to Columbia Heights and some to North Minneapolis because they wouldn't be able to have, get only a few children in one place or another. It, there was a period of time before money could be gotten to start a school and bond issues voted on. And, and then when we started having our own school and we had a superintendent Mr. Hayes was our first school superintendent when we built the first round school on Mississippi Street, and that was taken in a tornado before it was finished. Oh, uh, what tornado would that have been? I don't even remember the year. 
I don't remember. We've had so many tornadoes here. Did it ever do any damage to you personally, your belongings? No. But I saw it through the windows, the stuff flying in the air. Very terrible. My uncle August Peterson was with me in the store in 1929 when the tornado went through and we looked out the window and southeasterly from the store when we looked out, the air was just filled with clothing and lumber and everything. It was that close. It's just black. But it missed you completely. Do they have tornadoes practically every year here? No, not every year. Uh, I would remember that year particularly because we had just bought our new furniture the day before and on April 8th the tornado went through, and we didn't have insurance on it yet, and I was sure glad when it missed us. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, my name is Diana Nurberg, and I'm an adult services librarian for Anoka County Library. I'm here to offer you some wonderful resources related to suburbanization, as well as resources on how to bring farm life back to the burbs. The first we have is The Story of the Suburbs in Anoka and Hennepin Counties by Jody Larson. For a historical look at how the suburbs of Anoka and Hennepin Counties were planned and created, check out this book. It includes photos, maps, and other primary source documentation from both before and during the development. Next we have Potato City, Nature, History, and Community in the Age of Sprawl by Sue Leaf. In her book of essays, naturalist Sue Leaf explores the past and present of her hometown of North Branch, Minnesota. It looks back on both the natural history as well as the human development of the area. Next, we have The Sprawl, Reconsidering the Weird American Suburbs by Jason Diamond. Taking on the history of suburbs as well as the art birthed from them, Diamond weaves his own personal experience of living in the suburbs of Chicago into a book that's in itself sprawling. Next, we have Self-Sufficiency for the 21st Century by Dick and James Strawbridge. With solutions for all land types and sizes, this book lives up to its name of fostering self-sufficiency in the 21st century. There are solutions and ideas for those who live in urban areas, as well as the suburbs and rural locations. Energy conservation, animal husbandry, and gardening are just some of the topics covered. Finally, we have Maximizing Your Mini Farm, Self-Sufficiency on a Quarter Acre by Brett Markham. Learn how to bring farm life back to the suburbs with this resource specifically designed for smaller suburban spaces. I hope you find these resources useful and entertaining. Until next time, happy learning! Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. The interview actually cut off in a weird spot talking about this tornado. And I want to assure everybody, that is actually where the tape cut off. There wasn't another side. There's not another tape that was missing. It's just they ran out of tape or they just turned it off. I have no idea. Plus, with digital recording nowadays, we don't have to worry about running out of tape. Other little suggestion for those of you thinking about just setting up a recorder, introduce yourself at the beginning of the tape. I don't know if you noticed, but the interviewer doesn't identify themselves. I have no idea who that second woman was in the conversation with Hazel. 
So if you recognize that voice, let us know. We'll update the, the record. But we do know who Hazel's daughter is. She was so proud of talking about where her daughter was going to school and then getting married. Alice Ganter is still in the county. She is 91 years old. I had the privilege of talking with her on the phone this past week to let her know that we have found this oral history with her mother and that it was going to be on the podcast. I did not want that to be a surprise. She was very fun to talk to, and I also got to thank her for saving years' worth of her Christmas letters and donating them to the museum archive here. Christmas letters are a really interesting resource when it comes to looking back at your family. You have a couple of sentences about each person, what they got up to, and Alice in hers included a couple sentences about her mother. I looked through those Christmas letters this past week preparing for this episode and got to know a different side of Hazel. I've put some of the excerpts of the, those letters on our show notes page so you can see what the news was from about 1975 to 1995 when Hazel passed away. Thanks for listening and uh, join us next week for an interview we have for a new human that has joined us through a grant that we have recently received. So that's the teaser. See you next time. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21 The Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.